appreciate what they're doing and the medical field and what they are doing and all those who are working so hard. We need to not become fearful individuals, but rather remain faithful in our trust in the Lord and confidence that he is in full control, that our God knew about this pandemic before it even started. He knows what our tomorrows are going to be, and so we need to maintain that faith and not express a spirit of fear that could be harmful to our children or harmful to our uh, co-workers or harmful in our witness to friends and family, but rather to have the confidence that Jesus Christ is in control and knows exactly exactly what is going on. Not only do we want to be expressing that faith in Christ, but I remind you that we want to be respectful and prayerful for our government leaders. I would not want to be in a government official at this time. The pressures and the decisions that they have to make must be absolutely tremendous and, and hard-pressed indivi- hard-pressing upon those individuals. So let's make sure that we as individuals do what First Timothy chapter 2 encourage us to do, that we keep our government officials in prayer recognizing that they as ministers from uh, the Lord on, on taking care of and guiding and what happens, that they have great wisdom. We want to be praying for not only them to have wisdom, but also us to be able to live quiet and peaceable lives. And that leads me to this third thought that I want to remind you that this is not an opportunity that we should shy away from and uh, become cloistered to the point that we don't share our faith. I can't help but think that in God's great timing, he has led us as a church body already several months ago to be doing these Bible studies that are the foundation studies developing in a discipleship fashion. The opportunity to be able to sit down and talk with people one-on-one, family members, relatives, friends, neighbors, even some co-workers. And with your limited contact with people, many of you have already been uh, trained to a degree that you could already start doing these Bible studies. And taking advantage of this moment as peoples can't get out, peoples are unable to get to their worship centers, but you could provide them an opportunity to get together and study the Bible together. If you want, we have more of these books available, whether you stop by at our limited office hours and pick them up or contact us and we'll make sure that we mail these to you so that you can use them so that with those loved ones that you get together with infrequently or neighbors, that you take advantage and have the tools that you can share the gospel. Remember that this is an opportunity for us to deal and to serve and to minister to others by sharing the Word of God, but also as a church family. Let's make sure we are ministering to one another. I found in a lot of phone calls and communication with individuals, there's a number of folk who could use some encouragement right around this time. Some of you who are now doing the homeschooling and some of you who are now uh, having to work from home, the, uh, the tensions start increasing as far as being locked up. And some folk who aren't able to get out, some of our seniors, They don't have anybody that's going to be communicating with them on a daily basis. And so we could be ministering as a church family by picking up the phone, calling, and uh, taking it upon ourselves to try to be an encouragement one to another. So don't feel like you're going to be uh, imposing on individuals. Rather take the opportunity to build one another up and please... Take advantage of the technology we have by Skyping, by communicating with other brothers and sisters in Christ, especially within our church family and especially with the elderly. Uh, As we call through and try to check up with individuals, let us know if there's any special needs or prayer requests, and we will gladly share those. I'm going to do most of that sharing, not on the online services, but rather we'll do that by the emails so that we can uh, at least protect some confidentiality to those who don't want broadcasted in such a broad way. Uh, some of those needs. But keep in mind this one major thought that we shared with you last week. Just 
pray for the salvation of souls. There is a greater pandemic than the coronavirus. As I mentioned last week, there is a worldwide universal illness that has afflicted every one of us, and that is the sin that has been passed on from generation, from generation to generation to generation since Adam fell in the garden. And you and I have all been afflicted by it. We're affected by it day by day. We have the physical uh, aspects that, are, that affect us as we age. We have the spiritual aspects of the challenge. And without a cure, we are headed for a, for a hell-bound eternity. And so you and I need to recognize that the world around us, part of their fear is they don't know what's happening. But we have the truth that Jesus Christ, the only sinless human being, after Adam made his choice, the only individual who, who was pure and undefiled, he came to this world to offer himself as a personal sacrifice for each and every one of us to have the cure from our sin. And Jesus Christ gave his life freely, shed his blood, so that we could have the cure from that sin. And that cure being the forgiveness that was provided by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, he provided it on Calvary, and then three days later he resurrected from the dead, showing that God accepted his sacrifice, that he has the ability to offer the cure from our sin problem. And Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and left the responsibility to you and I to share that cure with the world around us. So let's take advantage of our opportunities, of our conversations, of our moments that we have with family and coworkers and friends, and let's make sure we share with them that Jesus Christ is the answer to this universal, eternal pandemic of sin, and that Jesus Christ will gladly and freely forgive any and all who call upon him to be their Savior. You and I have that news. Let's make sure that we share it to the best of our abilities. So if you need some help in getting some of the, that news out, we will send this to you. We will pray for your opportunities. We are so thankful. One of our folk called this week and said that they talked to a neighbor that through this crisis, it got their neighbor's concern and they were able to lead them to faith in Christ on, on Wednesday or Thursday of this week. Others have said they shared the gospel. You take advantage to do the same thing. I would like to read a passage of scripture before I lead in prayer, and I'm taking the passage from Psalm 103. If you want to join me there in Psalm 103, I'd like to read through the entire psalm with you and then have prayer. And then afterwards, we're going to begin a video. The video is a follow-up of what we just did in Sunday school, and that is an interview that we conducted in Sunday school with Dave and Julie Rudolph. They are here this weekend sharing their ministry, and they had prepared a uh, video that they were going to show, and we were going to do it in Sunday school, but I asked too many questions, went too long. And so we're going to show that in the next few minutes after I pray, and that'll give you an update of Dave's ministry. And then after the video, Dave's going to come up and add anything he would like to that video, and as well, then share the Word of God with us. But let me read this morning, starting as if you're following Psalm 103. I'm reading from King James. Whatever translation you're reading from is fine, but if we'll get the gist of the passage before we pray. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all thine iniquities, who heals all thy diseases, who redeems thy life from destruction, who crowns thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. 
He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. So bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Father, we thank you. We praise you for your grace and your goodness to us. We thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. We thank you that we are able to rise up this day, that we are able to hear, we are able to speak, we are able to communicate to you in prayer. We are able to share with one another through this technology that you've given us at this age. We thank you that we have your word. We thank you that we have this opportunity to be even worship as a family together, though we're in distant places and spread out, that we can gather around your word this morning and be fed. We thank you for Dave and Julie being able to be here and to minister to us. We thank you for their ministry in South Africa and pray that you would just prosper them in the days ahead, be able to guide and direct what they should do next, where, how they should respond while they're stranded here in the United States for these next few weeks. We pray, give them wisdom, give them peace of mind, help them as they deal with their ministry across the seas and give them wisdom in, in communication. We pray for some of our own folk who have special needs. We pray that you would help Jim as he could be in surgery right these moments. Help Rita especially that you would encourage her heart as she's the one alert, awake, and having to sit by the sidelines right now. And I pray that you would encourage her. I pray for Charlene and Don that you would help them as they process the news that they got and give doctors wisdom what to do in the days ahead and assist. Give them peace of mind and give her comfort of, of physical well-being. We pray for a number of our folk. Some who are not feeling well, some who express that they have some type of a bug. We pray that you would help them and protect them. We pray for their families as well. We ask, Father, that you would help the many who are now homebound, that you would assist them to have a good spirit, good attitude, and, and help us as individuals not to get a, under one another's nerves, that you would help us to have a, a Christ-like spirit in how we respond to each other and deal with one another in these unusual times and the added pressure of being uh, out of our normal routine. We pray that you would help uh, the mans uh, that they'd be able to get back home. Thank you for the doctors being able to assist Alberta with some of this treatment. And Lord, we pray on a regular basis that you'd help out some of our church family who are going through cancer treatments regularly, the bishops, and we have as well the... the uh, 
Barb and Alan Newton and we have Tina Redd and other individuals are pending some news about what's happening on the medical front and so we ask that Father you would give wisdom and give patience for Cal who had surgery this week that hip replacement that you would help him in his recovery and Judy give her grace and strength to be able to meet his needs day by day. Father, thank you for this opportunity we have to be able to pray to you. Thank you for this opportunity we have to be able to gather together. Thank you for the, the provision of salvation through Jesus Christ. We thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be your children. And I pray, help us to honor you this week to the best of our abilities and use the word to minister to our heart these next few minutes and help this video to help us to glean better knowledge of that ministry that Dave and Julie are involved in in South Africa. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good morning. It's uh, very strange for us to be here under these unusual circumstances, but we're delighted to be here. Already in the few days that we've been in Lebanon, uh, we've enjoyed fellowship with our dear friends, Pastor Wayne and Deb. And uh, we're in our favorite place of all to stay when we're in North America, and that's in the cave. I'm not sure if that's an appropriate term to use because it's a beautiful guest suite in your building, but Julie and I always enjoy staying there. So thank you for allowing us to be here. In fact, I've warned uh, Pastor Wayne that we just might have to stay here for the next two months. Well, now that's not going to happen, but he seems happy enough for us to even consider that. Uh, we, uh, we are grateful that God, in the midst of crises, offers us tremendous hope and encouragement from His Word. And so we're going to take some time in the Old Testament this morning. Uh, in Second Samuel chapter 7, we will delve into one aspect in the life of David uh, with some transparency of his response to God. But as we come to terms with this most unusual and frustrating circumstance in the world due to this coronavirus, it brings up many issues for us as Christians. For instance, how are we to fulfill our primary responsibility of meeting together as the body of Christ when we need to be in isolation away from each other? Or how are we going to provide for our family? Or how are we going to keep our household safe from infection? How am I going to minister to others when I can't be around them? We might even be tempted to direct our frustration toward God for allowing this level of disruption into our lives. Well, you understand that blame shifting comes naturally to us, doesn't it? We are a generation of blame shifters. Someone has to take responsibility for my troubles. It's not my fault. Someone else is to blame. Yet we know that if we are to be content in every circumstance as God instructs us, we uh, have got to look to Him for help at this time. Well, God promises to never leave us nor forsake us. We know the Scripture passages that bring assurances to us at times like these, but somehow, if we're honest, it's extremely difficult for us to give thanks in everything, especially the bad stuff. So I want to address the issue of gratitude in the midst of disappointment today. I know you struggle with this, as do I. My ingratitude rears its head in different forms, such as self-pity, grumbling, complaining, 
maybe some mild depression, a bit of anger, a critical spirit, or even anxiety, or perhaps, in some cases, defiance. Ungratefulness is a characteristic of the, formal, uh, the fallen human nature. And for the Christian, it embarrasses us when we identify it, we see it take root in our own hearts. And we must remember that it was because of grumbling and ingratitude toward God that Israel struggled for decades in the wilderness. We see similar issues addressed in the New Testament. For instance, as Paul discussed the issue of human depravity in Romans chapter 1, he, he identified ingratitude as one of the sins which plunges the human race further into sin. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. And then verse 24, therefore God gave them over. On the other hand, believers are commanded in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 16 through 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. All of us who have been delivered from Satan's domain of darkness, here's what we're told in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12, we are to be joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, no matter what the circumstance may be. I'm sure you will agree that a spirit of joyous, continual thankfulness ought to characterize us as Christians, especially when everyone around us is anxious, fearful, and frustrated by the present circumstances. And I'm sure you will agree that there is nothing more pitiful than an ungrateful Christian. It's not surprising to discover that the man whom God called, a man after God's own heart, David, was a thankful man. Uh, turn with me this morning, if you have your Bible already open there, to Second Samuel chapter 7. I want to show you that David was grateful and thankful even when God said no to his plans and ambitions. When we are faced with overwhelming disappointment and when our personal dreams and expectations are unfulfilled, when we feel trapped and helpless, how is it possible for us to show gratefulness, gratitude to God. Now, before we read the passage, let me give you the big idea of my message today. Here it is. A thankful heart comes from focusing on the sovereign grace of God, and it results in praying for the promises of God. A thankful heart comes from focusing on the sovereign grace of God, and it results in praying for the promises of God. Now, let me also give you some background in this time in David's life before we dive into the, the passage. Now, David, at this point, has consolidated his kingdom. He has brought up the ark, and he placed it in a tent in Jerusalem. He has built a palace for himself. And while David battles with Israel's enemies, and, they, uh, and they, the, the battle is not over, we read in chapter 7 and verse 1 that the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. The Lord had given him rest during this time of war. During this period of calm, David's thoughts turned to the fact that while he lives in a nice palace, the ark of God still dwells in a tent. We see that in verse 2. So David wants to build a house for God. 
His friend Nathan, the prophet, at first says, well, go ahead. But that night God speaks to Nathan and puts a kibosh on David's building the temple. But God also tells Nathan to let David know that God will indeed build a house for him. Verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, this is what we know to be the Davidic covenant. God promises that uh, a Messiah, that the Messiah will come from David's descendants. And so now what we have before us is David's response of overwhelming gratitude for God's goodness towards him. Now, you may be thinking, well, who wouldn't be grateful if God made that kind of a promise to them? I mean, that's a pretty profound promise that God is making to to David at this point. But to grasp the significance of David's response, we must remember that God had just said no to David's dream, to David's ambitions, to David's desires to honor the Lord by being actively doing something. For David, it was a very tangible dream. In his mind, David could picture the beautiful building with worshipers thronging to the courtyard. He uh, simply wanted to do something very tangible and visible for the Lord. There's, There's quite understanding. That's quite understandable. But God said, no. Instead, God promises something that David would not get to see in his own lifetime. Here it is, that the Messiah would come from his lineage. Think about it. The promise was not to be fulfilled until a thousand years later when Jesus was born, and it will not be fulfilled completely until the future millennial reign of Christ. It was a promise, very encouraging, but the blessing of it is deferred. That puts David's thankfulness in a different light, doesn't it? There's not going to be any immediate gratification for David. He could quite easily have been disappointed and even angry about God's denial, or at least the postponement of his dream. But instead, what we see here is he is overwhelmed with gratitude. Now, as we examine David's prayer to God, we discover that he does have something to teach us about thankfulness, especially when God says no. So here it is. David's response to the no from God. And it's quite simply a prayer of thankfulness. So we'll begin reading in verse 18 as you follow along in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, For there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel, 
to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now therefore may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Well, we can see from this prayer that David's confidence in God is, well, pretty special, I would say. In this prayer, David shows us that his roots of belief in God are deep. And I want us to see, first of all, in this passage that the root of a thankful heart stems from focusing on the sovereign grace of God. That's the root of a thankful heart. David's focus was upon God, his purpose, and his sovereign grace. And a study of of these verses reveals three characteristic roots of a thankful heart. This will be really helpful for us today. First of all, a thankful heart is focused on God, not on self, not on my circumstances. Now think of where David was, was at this time in his life. He was the king of Israel after years of hardship, 22 years of hardship in fact. He had defeated many enemy nations. He had established comfortably in his capital city a nice palace. He was a famous, powerful man with many dedicated servants, and he could easily have just focused on himself. He, he could have got caught up with enjoying the good life with no concern for the things of God, but he didn't. Instead, his thoughts turned toward the Lord and his purpose. He had a burden for God to be central in the nation, for God to be worshipped by his people. He, he wanted a uh, to build a temple which would elevate the Lord to his proper place in the nation. You see, David could not be content while God lived in a tent and he in a palace. David's heart was focused on God, not on himself. So even when God said no to David's dream, David was still overwhelmed with gratitude for God's sovereign grace toward him. Now, one of the main reasons we in this present day wrestle against or wrestle with ungratefulness is that we live in a culture that is obsessed by self-worship. We are expected to pursue our own dreams, our own comfort, and our own happiness in the time frame and in the manner that we want. The dominant theology of modern Christianity puts man and his happiness at the center of everything rather than God and his glory. It teaches that God exists to meet my needs. So we shouldn't be surprised when people who by nature are self-centered are coming to Christ to get what we might consider an abundant life, which they think is their right, and which they assume will fulfill all of their needs, only to be disappointed that it isn't quite what they had imagined. 
It's because they've never repented of their self-centeredness. They are disappointed when God doesn't do what they think He should do for them or what they believe He promised to do in their circumstance. And I'm certain that in our present lockdown circumstances, there are many Christians who are feeling anxious, fearful, and perhaps even a bit angry that God has allowed them to be restricted and unable to fulfill their ambitions. Unlike David, they have no burden for God and His purpose. And instead of being focused on God, they're focused on the circumstance and and trying to get God to meet their own needs for their own gratification, for their own comfort, according to their own program and time frame. It is so easy for us as Christians to be focused on ourselves. And to be perfectly honest, I too have struggled with the frustration of having our furlough plans and our program shut down at this time. It's not what I had wanted. Why has God brought us to the States for this? Only to have our purposes frustrated and unfulfilled. What should we do now? That is the question that has been on my mind and my heart since 5 o'clock this morning when I learned the challenging news that we've missed the last flights out of the country. How and when are we to get back to the field? What are we to be doing in the meantime? Where should we be hunkering down? When the, when the officials tell us that we should stay at home, but our home is 10,000 miles away. Well, Jesus nails this issue in Mark chapter 8. He didn't say, if anyone wants to follow me, I'll meet his every need so he can live a happy and a comfortable life. We know what it says. In Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. That puts it into perspective a little bit for us, doesn't it? If you want to be the kind of thankful uh, person we see in David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, your focus must be taken off yourself and off of your happiness and must be placed instead on God and His great purpose in the gospel. You see, if you will focus on God and His purpose during these times of disappointment, He is going to graciously meet your need. If you focus on yourself, you're going to come up empty. That's always the truth. You see, what David teaches us here, first of all, is a thankful heart is focused on God. But a second characteristic of a thankful heart is that we are to be submissive to God's sovereign purpose. Submissive to God's sovereign purpose. David wanted to build the temple. God said no. Uh, That answer would have been especially difficult to accept because of David's desire, and some think maybe his motive was pure, and I would tend to agree with that. He wasn't looking for something for himself. He didn't want a new addition on the palace or a higher salary. His desire was to build a house for God. His motive was clearly pure. But God still said, no. No. Now, it is true that God wrapped his denial in some other wonderful promises, but still it was a denial. And what did David do in response? Let's just think about that for a moment. Let's consider what he could have done, but he did not do. He could have allowed his disappointment to grow into depression. 
He could have sulked and felt sorry for himself. He, He could have angrily decided to never do anything for the Lord again. He could have turned to self-indulgence to soothe his hurt feelings. But instead, he worshipped God. He was overwhelmed with gratitude for all that God had done. He submitted to God's sovereign purpose, and he was willing to be used however God wanted to use him. What an example David is to us at a time like this. You see, the key to David's response is seen in the way he viewed God and how he viewed himself in God's sight. He had the right perspective. Perspective is a huge thing. I had the privilege about seven or eight years ago of teaching in China, as your pastor has done. And one of the things that struck me about these godly Chinese pastors is they seemed to lack perspective. They knew very little about the rest of the world. They were focused on their circumstances and on their difficulty, and and, and that was important, I suppose. But one of the things that surprised me is they couldn't see much beyond that. And yet, God wants us to see how He views things. He wants us to look at things how He views them. He wants us to understand ourselves as He understands us. Notice in this passage that eight times in this short prayer, David calls God, O Lord God. Literally, Sovereign Lord, Adonai Yahweh. He says that repeatedly. He repeatedly declares God's greatness. In verse 22, for instance, Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And he repeatedly declares God's sovereign choice of Israel as his people. Look at verse 23. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. Then ten times David refers to himself not as the king, but as your servant, Verse 19, verse 20, verse 21, verse 25, verse 26, verse 27, twice in that verse, 28 and verse 29, twice again. Because he saw God as the sovereign of the universe and saw himself simply as God's servant, he could submit and be thankful even when God's plans were contrary to his own. So how about you? How are you dealing with this? What do you do when God's plans seem to conflict with yours? What is your attitude to the Lord when things don't work out as you imagined? Do you grumble and moan? Do you connive and manipulate? Do you sink into a depression? Or do you get angry? Now, the real test of thankfulness is not when God does what you want Him to do. That's the easy part. The test of being thankful is when God says no to your plans, even when you crafted them in good conscience to further His purpose in some way. To be be thankful when that happens must begin with you seeing God as the sovereign, as the supreme king, and yourself as His servant fully submitted 
to Him. A thankful heart is focused on God, not on yourself. A thankful heart submits to God's sovereign purpose. But there's a third thing here. A thankful heart is overwhelmed by God's superabundant grace. A thankful heart is overwhelmed by God's superabundant grace. This ought to move us. When Nathan outlines God's covenant promises to David, David is clearly overwhelmed. In today's slang, I guess you could say he was blown away. He goes into the tabernacle, verse 18, and sits before the Lord. And as far as I know, it's the only time in the Bible where a person sits down to pray. I'm pretty sure David was stunned. Like when a lawyer calls you and says, you had better sit down, a rich uncle has just left you a million bucks. That's never happened to me. Maybe that's happened to you. Bless you. I hope you tithed on that. You see, David had wanted to build a house for God, but God says in verse 11, no, 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 I want to build a house for David. Wow. And David's response was a humble one. Who am I? Who am I? When we come face to face with grace, and this is what we see here, we are overwhelmed. You see, grace means God's unmerited favor. And, in, and by that very definition, grace has two dimensions. First of all, grace is unmerited, which means I do not deserve it. In verse 18, David asks, who am I? I am totally unworthy to receive it. If I get it because I'm worthy, it's lo- no longer grace. If I can do anything to earn it or deserve it, it is not grace. Grace is a sovereign act of God, totally apart from any human effort or human will. And for that reason, grace is hard to grasp because it is not the custom or manner of man. In our normal human experience, we are conditioned to a system of work and wages, effort and reward. But not with God. See, grace is neither a wage nor a reward. It it flows from the very nature of God, never from the efforts of man. You'll never be able to understand or appreciate God's grace until you are overwhelmed with a sense of your own unworthiness to approach God in any way. It is a realization of your works as being filthy rags. They cannot commend you to God. It is an understanding that if God dealt with you according to what you deserve, He would justly send you to hell. Grace is completely unmerited. And when that thought grips you, it fills you with a profound thankfulness toward God. But second, by definition, grace is not just unmerited, but it is also favor. That is, grace reflects God's abundant goodness. God, who is infinitely wealthy has opened up the treasury of heaven and poured out heaps of blessing upon us. And so David is considering three aspects of this. First of all, God's favor in the past. Verse 18, Who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Now, it might be helpful for each of us this morning to stop for a moment and to consider God's grace towards us in the past. This would be a good time for us to think about what God has done before this circumstance hit us. 
For some of you, it may be the very recent past, or for others, you might need to think back a while further. But for all of us, as we look at the past, we are compelled to say, God has been gracious. He rescued me from a miry pit. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That great passage in Ephesians chapter 2. But not only are we uh, to consider God's favor in the past, but how about God's favor in the present? The second part of verse 8 in our text I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. I mean, David here is reflecting on his position now as the ruler over God's people Israel. Take a moment to think about God's grace toward you in the present. God continues in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6, God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's our present. That's where we are right now. We are called to exercise the authority of our risen head, Jesus Christ, here on earth over the spiritual forces of darkness. We're in a very powerful position as his people. But then we are ought to reflect on God's favor in the future. Verses 10 through 16 and verse 19 in our text, And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God makes the astounding promise to establish David's kingdom forever. Now, this promise was only partially fulfilled in King Solomon and the other kings in David's lineage, and it was and will be completely fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, born of the lineage of David, who will rule on the throne of David in his millennial kingdom one day. What about your future? Do you think about that much? This thing is going to pass. I think about my future quite a bit. I suppose one of my maladies, one of my problems is that I'm always thinking ahead, always thinking toward the future. Maybe I overthink it. My understanding and love for biblical prophecy reminds me that the best is yet to come. Paul continues in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7 where he says, In order that the ages to come he might that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. No matter what the difficulty and the circumstance is right now, my friend, Jesus isn't done. He's got stuff to get done for his glory yet. We cannot even imagine the extent of the good things that God has stored up for us in the future. It's all of grace. We are surrounded by it. Grace rescued us from from a sinful past. Grace sustains us in our service for Christ right now in the present. And grace will preserve us for a glorious eternal future. When you meditate on the superabundance of God's grace to you, my friend, you should feel overwhelmed. Do you ever spend time sitting before the Lord, awed by His tremendous grace? You can't tell me you don't have the time to do that now. You most certainly do. You ought to think about the dimensions of His grace often. Whenever you observe the Lord's Supper, and that time will return when we can do that as a church, 
the richness of His grace should move you. Also at other times, be sure to sit before the Lord and turn every facet of God's unmerited favor over and over in your mind as if you are examining a rare jewel, and a rare jewel it is indeed. A thankful heart is overwhelmed by God's amazing grace. And so we can safely say that a thankful heart is rooted in and focusing on the sovereign grace of God. The thankful heart focuses on God. It submits to His sovereign purposes and revels in His abundant grace. That's the root of a thankful heart. But what about the fruit? What fruit will this virtue produce in your life? The fruit... A thankful heart will cause you to pray for the promises of God. The thankful heart will pray for the fulfillment of all that God has promised. And I want you to notice that although God has promised to do all of these great things for David, he did not take the promises for granted. Instead, he took God's promise and turned it into a prayer for fulfillment. Verse 25 is the key to understanding this truth. And now, O Lord, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. It's a prayer, a statement of faith and confidence that God will do what he says he will do. This is the most tangible example of something I'm afraid we do very little of, praying for God to fulfill his promises. You ask, why do we need to pray if God has promised to do it? If he is sovereign and will accomplish his purpose, then why do we have to ask him for it? That's a great question. Thanks for asking it. But here's my confession to you. I don't understand everything I know. I know it, but I don't understand it. I'm not completely sure how this works, but I certainly do know that part of the way God brings about his purpose is through the prayers of his people. And that's really all I need to know. See, God expects his servants who are recipients of his grace to take his promises and turn them into thankful prayers for his glory. God has spoken, and he knows precisely what he has promised, but he's delighted when his servants, his children say, do as you have said, Lord, that your name may be magnified. I don't think that can be any clearer. So there's one possible application for you this morning as you consider the ongoing uh, effective influence that you can have as a church, even under these circumstances. Keep praying for God to fulfill His promises, to build His church, especially through these very unusual circumstances before us. I don't need to remind you of what the Son of David has promised concerning His church in this age. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. That's his promise. The coronavirus cannot thwart the plans and purposes of God. And he expects his people whose hearts are filled with thankfulness as they contemplate his sovereign grace to take that promise and turn it into a believing prayer. Maybe something like this. Lord, build your church, draw souls of many in Lebanon and its surrounds to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that you might be glorified in them and through them, so that your name may be magnified forever. I can confidently say to you this morning that God has placed each one of you here in this community to relish in His grace, to nurture a thankful heart, and to pray earnestly for His church to be built for His glory. Now, I realize that we're all pretty distracted by this difficult situation right now. I'm sure this can make it a challenging, if not impossible, task for you to look beyond to the greater purposes of God. I understand that. 
I know how easy it is to be mired in the issues of life, which at the very best of times can rob us of the time and energy to do the things that have eternal value, to do the things that are most pleasing to God. Maybe like David, when he was running from Saul, you're in what we might call survival mode, and I think we are. You can't think about building God's house until you get your present circumstances sorted. The application here is quite stunning. But here's the thing. Remember that even when he was in survival mode, David was learning to trust the promises of God. For 22 years, until he was king of Israel, he was learning to trust in God as his full sufficiency. Now, I don't think our present circumstances are going to take 22 years. I'm hoping it's not going to be 22 days, let alone 22 weeks. But all through this, David was learning to give thanks through singing, even from the cave where he hid from Saul's army. These things apply to you. They apply to me. No matter what challenges you are facing, there is a promise of God for every need in your life. In fact, God promises that for you, if you are a born-again Christian, all things work together for good for you who are called according to his purpose. You believe that? So what is your need this morning as you confine yourself to the safety of your home? Do you need freedom from guilt? John the Apostle says God promises to give if you confess your sins. He is faithful to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Do you feel lonely? Jesus says, I am with you always. Do you need assurance? Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Are you troubled? Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Are you worried about the resulting financial pressures? I am. Jesus says, Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Are you struggling with powerful temptations? Paul says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation provide the way to escape, that you may be able to bear it or endure it. Whatever your need today, it is covered by the promises from God. No matter how overwhelming the circumstance is, you can have hope and be filled with thanksgiving because your God is the sovereign God who always acts in grace towards you. You can take his promises and turn them into prayer for his glory. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's great. But why am I not seeing those promises fulfilled in my situation? (laughs) Well, that's the second great question you've asked this morning. Thank you for asking it. Full disclosure, I don't know. 
I don't know why God has allowed this to happen, and I don't know why He hasn't sorted it out yet. But then you may want to ask yourself, why do I want to see these problems solved? Why do I want to see these needs met in my time frame? Is it so that my comfort and my happiness might return? Or is it so that God will be glorified and His name magnified through me? You see, the Lord isn't interested in meeting all of your needs. Does that shock you? Let me add to that sentence. He is not interested in meeting all of your needs so that you can be, live your happy and self-centered life. He will meet your needs in order for His glory, which may not look quite the same as I might see the needs in my life. See, He wants us to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness before anything else. He wants you to be burdened for His purposes and plans for His glory. He wants you to be focused on Him and not yourself. He wants you to submit to Him. He wants you to revel in His grace. And then from a thankful heart, He wants you to pray about His abundant promises so that He can be magnified in you even when He says no. A thankful heart comes from focusing on the sovereign grace of God and results in praying for the promises of God. May the Lord bless you, Pastor Wayne. We thank the Lord for such a timely and provocative sermon from the Word of God. I trust that the message that was shared was a blessing to your heart as well as it was to mine, and that it will help you in the days ahead. If we can minister to you, feel free to contact the church at its phone number or its office or via some of the uh, media ways of communication, and we will respond as quick as possible to help you out. We want to be praying and closing this portion of our service, and then those of you who are still with us, we will continue, and then we will upload all these messages for your, uh, your availability later on. Father, thank you so very, very much for such a simple passage, and yet the message was so profound as to minister to our hearts. Thank you for Dave's wisdom and being able to select and be directed to preach this sermon this morning. Help it to be of ministry to many, many hearts in the hours and days ahead as people view this even later on. And I pray that you would just continue to bless their ministry in a sweet, sweet fashion. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.